second journey part one of narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni balzoni this librivox recording is in the public domain second journey part one having thus finished the account of my first journey up the nile i shall proceed to the narrative of my second we set off from bulak on the twentieth of february eighteen seventeen mr beechey had the stern of the boat well covered with mats and close lined all round with a curtain to the floor from which we had light which was occasionally shut up to prevent the dust or wind from penetrating from any quarter besides another cover over all rendering it entirely secure not only from the wind and dust but also from the rain if any should happen to fall we had on board a greek servant a janissary from the bashaw and a cook all persons who never saw any necessity for economy in the article of provision and who would make as much waste at dair in nubia as they would in cairo the result was our provision which was to last six months began to fail at the end of one consequently with all the caution we took we were obliged to live on what the country afforded indeed while we were at thebes we had no reason to complain for there is a good supply to be had of meat fowls and pigeons and after the inundations some greens such as bammies malachies beans and so forth our rice and crew were barabbas engaged to go and stop where we pleased they were hired by the month and had to find themselves in provisions as to the janissary from the bashaw we found him of so little use as he did scarcely anything except treat the christian dogs with insolence that we sent him back after a few days trial our departure from bulak was attended with the contrary wind which very seldom happens in going up the nile as the north winds prevail there at least nine months in the year we passed the island of rhoda old cairo and all the pyramids but such was the slowness of our progress that in four days we only reached tabin a village on the eastern bank opposite dajur we stopped at this place pretty early as the wind would not permit us to proceed and it happened to be a situation so elevated that it commanded a distant view of cairo the pyramids of giza sakara and dajur i took this opportunity to make a sketch which i humbly present to the reader see plate twenty two one day more brought us near lafashi where we went to see a bedouin camp hearing we were only travellers in search of antiquities the bedouins were quite civil to us as far as these people can be our business was immediately known to them from our servants and the crew for no secrecy can be kept in that country owing to these persons the bedouins told us that at barumbul the next village there was a statue half buried in the sand which they had seen themselves next we came to this village and as we could not proceed owing to a calm we landed and went in quest of the said statue on our arrival we were shown a piece of rock which had not the form of anything the fellows told us it was once a camel that god turned it into a stone and that the smaller ones which lay around it were watermelons with which it was loaded and which were metamorphosed into stones also perfectly satisfied with the story we returned to our bark in the evening we arrived at maimond and hearing the tambourine went to see an arabic feast in the village see plate thirty 
we were introduced in front of the spectators the performers consisted of about thirty men all in a row clapping their hands in concert so as to form a kind of accompaniment to their song which consisted of three or four words and with one foot before the other keeping a sort of perpetual motion but without changing their positions before the men were two women with daggers in their hands also in continual action running toward the men and then returning from them with an extraordinary motion brandishing their daggers and waving their garments in this way they persevered for such a length of time that i wondered how they could support the exertion this is a sort of bedouin dance and is the most decent of all that i ever saw in egypt but no sooner was it ended than in order i suppose to please us they immediately began another in the fashion of the country which fully compensated for the extraordinary modesty of the first but we returned to our boat more disgusted than pleased with it for three days we had a strong southerly wind so that we advanced but a few miles and did not arrive at minich till the fifth of march it was necessary for us to land there to see hamet bey who has the command over all the boats on the river he styles himself admiral of the nile and thinks himself as great as any british admiral on the sea one day at a christian party in cairo the discourse happened to fall upon sir sidney smith ah said hamet bey sir sidney is a very clever man and holds the same rank as myself from this great commander we had to obtain a protection for our rice to secure him from having his boat pressed while we employed it we found him sitting on a wooden bench attended by two or three of his sailors he complied with our request and gave a hint for a bottle of rum we sent him two and he made a feast in high glee with them we went to the house of dr valsomaki who distills aqua vita and sells medicine wholesale and retail he also collects antiquities from the fellahs around the country and disposes of them to any one who chooses to buy them and it was in hope of purchasing something of this sort that we visited him there we saw two cops dressed like franks as they had been in france with the army they were employed by mr druetti the ex-french consul in alexandria who sent them up the nile in search of antiquities as we did not wish to interfere with these men we set off from minich immediately and on the evening of the next day arrived at eramon near eshamurain the ancient hermopolis where we went to see mr brine an englishman who had introduced sugar-baking into the country after encountering many obstacles he had succeeded in purifying and refining the sugar to great perfection his chief difficulties were to surmount the tricks played off against him by the arab sugar dealers in that country and to free the sugar from a particular smell occasioned by the soil which though not disagreeable might retard its introduction into europe at his house we learned that the two agents of mr Duetti were making a forced march to thebes of their motives for which i was aware they wished to arrive there before us and to purchase all that had been accumulated by the arabs in the preceding season so that we should have had no chance of buying anything on our arrival 
it was not on this account however i was uneasy but because the spot where i had been digging and found the sphinxes and statues was so evidently pregnant with objects worthy the risk of excavation that i had no doubt if they reached thebes before us they would take possession of that ground and we should have no longer a right to explore it the mode of travelling on asses or horses is much more speedy than the progress of our boat could be so we should certainly have no chance of regaining my old spot of ground where i found the statues i was not long therefore in considering the matter and resolved to set off immediately and by travelling day and night was in hopes to reach the place before them accordingly a horse and an ass were got ready and taking with me the greek servant i left mr beechey to come up in the boat at his leisure by this time it was midnight yet we set off immediately and forced marches brought us on the next evening to manfalut from this place we hastened without delay and arrived at siut before daylight at sunrise we mounted again and arrived at dark at tata there we rested in the convent for four hours started afresh by the light of the moon and arrived at girgay in the night we resumed our journey at one o'clock in the morning reached farciot at noon and after a delay of four hours in consequence of not finding beasts immediately arrived at night at a village three leagues above bajura here we rested two hours set off by moonlight and arrived at gena at three having dined we proceeded onward rested a couple of hours at benut at night and arrived at luxor the following noon the whole of our journey occupied five days and a half during which i slept eleven hours and all the rest of the time we were hastening on with asses horses or camels as we could procure them on the road the principal places we passed in this journey were manfalut siud abuchi tata menchi girga farsiut bajura kena copt and gus any one who has been in the country may form some idea of the hardships a person must undergo travelling through a tract entirely destitute of the necessaries of life the fathers of the convents of propaganda at tata girge at farsiut afforded great accommodation to me on this forced march they provided me with beasts and provisions for the road immediately on my arrival for which i felt myself deeply indebted to them the arabs make every stranger welcome when they are at their meals and i generally took advantage of the custom whenever opportunity served but on this occasion it would have caused the loss of that time i was so eager to gain in places where there was no convent i went to the house of the sheikh al belet where travellers of all sorts assemble at night i was so fatigued and stiff that any place of rest was acceptable to me the bare earth generally afforded me a bed and when i could procure a mat it was a luxury i was refreshed one night with a few pieces of sugar-cane which after passing the torch where the juices had been extracted becomes pretty soft and affords a tolerable bed i was also regaled with sugar-canes as a dessert after a repast of bread and onions the sugar-cane is pleasant at the first taste but on pressing it to extract the juice it gives an acid that is not agreeable and the flavour is rather insipid the people of the country eat of it continually and are very fond of it it is sold in the markets as fruit when in season 
on the road between siout and tata i met a body of bedoween horsemen i never had an opportunity of viewing these people to more advantage than at this time and i must observe that i never saw a finer set of men in my life the horses were very strong though not in full flesh the riders were clothed only with a kind of mantle made of white woollen of their own manufacturing which covered the head and part of the body they had very small saddles contrary to the custom of this country were armed with guns pistols and swords and were going to cairo to enter into the service of the bashaw who could find no other expedient for suppressing this body of freebooters than offering to give them good pay horses and arms and to send them to mecca this proposal has had its due effect for all the young men have embraced it and left the old men and women in the deserts in this manner the bashaw entertains hopes of getting rid of the greater part if not all of these people who are detested in the country and in case of any insurrection always avail themselves of it to plunder i passed through their camp at the time of their convention with the bashaw so that i escaped unmolested and perhaps unnoticed as i was covered with a large burnous of their own fashion and my beard was pretty long their tents consist of four sticks set in the ground about a yard in height to which is fashioned one of their shawls as a cover with another behind so as to form a kind of shelter from the sun wind or dew they generally pitch their camps near a fertile spot but always at the foot of the desert so that in case of surprise they are soon in their native country like the crocodile which enjoys the land but when disturbed or at the approach of any person immediately plunges into the river as a place of safety the women were all uncovered and the children entirely naked they were very frugal in their diet and never drink any strong liquor they are arabs but no more like the arabs of egypt than a free man is like a slave the egyptian arabs are accustomed to obey but will not do anything unless compelled by force they are humbled because they are continually under the rod and indolent because they have no interest in anything but the wild arabs on the contrary are constantly in motion and labor to procure provision for their beasts and themselves and being in perpetual war with each other their thoughts are incessantly employed in improving their arts of defence or in obtaining plunder i must here mention a circumstance which occasioned me so many unpleasant events and so much loss of time and unnecessary labour that i would not undertake to go through the business again for the discovery of another tomb of apis this was merely in consequence of an interpreter's not choosing to take the trouble of writing a few lines it will be recollected that on my return from thebes to cairo i stopped at siout and that the defreder bey sent a letter on board our boat for the consul previous to my return into upper egypt i urged to the consul the necessity of sending some presents to the bey and in particular an answer to his letter from siout the consul naturally thinking that his interpreter who had been many years settled in the country should know the customs of it better than myself consulted him and this man merely to save writing told the consul there was no occasion for it relying on him my remonstrances were of no avail the bey whose pride was touched to the quick at not seeing any present or receiving any letter was exasperated at everything belonging to our party 
i do not mean to impute any neglect to the consul for not sending a present to the bey as i know he intended to make him one but the avaricious mind of the defterdar did not place any reliance on the future particularly when he found no reply to his letter which he certainly had a right to expect on the other hand our opponents took every advantage and neglected no means of attracting the good will of the bey sending him continually something or other so that he openly promoted their interest in every respect such with what follows is the real state of the case and let the count de forben invent some other story to disguise the truth if he can on my arrival at luxor i found the defdedar bey had just passed and after having inquired which was the ground where i discovered the sphinxes ordered it to be excavated and returned to siout leaving his physician dr moroki a piedmontese and countryman of mr duetti to superintend the work i was not a little surprised to see the advantage which had been taken of us by this intrigue and the doctor who was in the plot ashamed i suppose of his own mean conduct told me that what he found was for the bey who had taken it into his head to be an antiquary several sphinxes had been uncovered and more were to be found while i was obliged to be a mere spectator of the operation made on the very ground i first opened yet the count de forben had impudence enough to assert that they were discovered by a gentleman and covered up again with other idle stories from his own school many sphinxes had been found in the doctor's excavation but only four were worth taking out having finished his operation he left a guard to the statues and returned to siout as he was ordered by his master but previous to his departure he went to the west side of thebes and forbade the fellows with threats to sell anything to the english on finding that i had already purchased some articles which i did immediately on my arrival he took such a spite against me as he has not forgotten to this day the conclusion of all this parade about the bay the doctor the statues and the excavation was that though the statues were for the bay yet on the arrival of the agents of mr druetti as will be seen hereafter they took possession of them some time after the doctor wrote me a letter to inquire whether it were really true that the agents of mr druetti had taken away the statues he had found in karnak and pretending to be quite shocked at their proceeding i plainly saw that the doctor did not wish to open my eyes but on the contrary sent me the letter to blind me entirely and make me believe that he had no hand in the plot but what could he say when he as well as we saw mr druetti himself come to luxor and with great coolness take away these very statues or sphinxes pretended to have been found for the defterdar i leave the farce to be explained by the veracious count de forben who may invent some other puff to cover a trick so openly executed during this time i was not idle i set a few men to work on both sides of thebes and went to ermans to present to the kachef the letter i had from cairo on my arrival he received me with much politeness and after the usual ceremonious protestation of friendship i took the first opportunity of presenting to him the letter of the bashaw 
he was a little alarmed at first and very anxious to know the contents but was relieved when he heard that i had made no complaint against him as his good behaviour just before my departure retrieved in part the faults he had committed before i then reminded him of the behaviour of the kamakan of gournou he swore that he would punish him and if i pleased would turn him out of his place i said i did not desire him to do either on my account but for the future wished to proceed in my business undisturbed and we concluded that the next morning he should come to gournou and settle the affair in a proper manner he afterwards introduced to me one of those wonderful saints who work miracles by dozens catching scorpions serpents and so forth this fellow brought a serpent with no teeth and the cacheff was much alarmed when he put it into his lap i took it and opened its mouth without uttering a word but the wonder-worker understood me very well we then went into a dark room to see a miracle he began with a long prayer and after a few minutes stretched out his hand in a corner of the room and to the great astonishment of the beholders produced a scorpion i observed closely this wonder-working saint and saw clearly what was passing the scorpion was kept in the enormous large sleeve of his garment and being produced in an instant it appeared as if it came out of the wall we were now taken to see the apartments all through the house and he practised the same deception over again in a particular lower room the son of this santon pretended to find a small serpent but not being so adroit as his father he contented himself with protesting that it had no teeth which made me ask where serpents could be found in this country without teeth the cacheff i perceived was a man who would swallow the grossest impositions he told me many stories truly ridiculous among the rest he said that his caste were subjects to a king in the mountains of caesarea and had such power that if caught in a storm at sea a calm was restored in a minute and if a cannon-ball made a hole in the ship a santon could stop it that the venetian zessions are made by the magic of these santons and that one of them being with the sultan at constantinople where the persian ambassador had been to announce war against the port he said that they would conquer the persians and that on his thrusting out his finger the sovereign of persia would become blind i left ermans and went to luxor and the next morning i met the cacheff at gournou according to his promise he gave orders to the kamaikin on every necessary subject not to threaten the fellas if they sold me any papyri and so forth and to furnish me with men to excavate in whatever place i pleased the works at karnak were going on and i had begun to uncover one of the sitting colossi before the second propylaeon beyond the large avenue of sphinxes leading into the great temple i had it cleared all round and found it to be twenty-nine feet high from the bottom of the chair it is of a white calcareous stone and very hard at the foot of the chair i found a sitting statue seven feet high it represented a female figure perhaps of isis its headdress of enormous size differed from that of the generality of the egyptian statues and from its style appeared to be of a very remote age the bust was divided at the waist from the rest of the body and chair 
i took out the bust and intended to take out the chair as soon as the boat arrived with the implements having then set the people to work at another direction where also i had hopes i took the opportunity to examine at leisure the superb ruins of this edifice in a distant view of them nothing can be seen but the towering propyliae high portals and obelisks which project above the various groups of lofty palm-trees and even at a distance announce magnificence on approaching the avenue of sphinxes which leads to the great temple the visitor is inspired with devotion and piety their enormous size strikes him with wonder and respect to the gods to whom they were dedicated they represent lions with heads of rams the symbols of strength and innocence the power and purity of the gods advancing farther in the avenue there stand before it towering propyliae which lead to inner courts where immense colossi are seated at each side of the gate as if guarding the entrance to the holy ground still farther on was the magnificent temple dedicated to the great god of the creation it was the first time that i entered it alone without being interrupted by the noise of the arabs who never leave the traveller an instant the sun was rising and the long shades from the various groups of columns extended over these ruins intermixed with the rays of light striking on these masses in various directions formed such delightful views all around as baffled description plate twenty four will give a general idea of these extensive ruins and the small sketch plate thirty one exhibit a small part of the interior of the great temple i was lost in contemplation of so many objects and being alone in such a place my mind was impressed with ideas of such solemnity that for some time i was unconscious whether i were on terrestrial ground or in some other planet i had seen the temple of tintira and i still acknowledge that nothing can exceed that edifice in point of preservation and in the beauty of its workmanship and sculpture but here i was lost in a mass of colossal objects every one of which was more than sufficient of itself alone to attract my whole attention how can i describe my sensations at that moment i seemed alone in the midst of all that is most sacred in the world a forest of enormous columns adorned all round with beautiful figures and various ornaments from the top to the bottom the graceful shape of the lotus which forms their capitals and is so well proportioned to the columns that it gives to the view the most pleasing effect the gates the walls the pedestals and the architraves also adorned in every part with symbolical figures in basso relievo and intaglio representing battles processions triumphs feasts offerings and sacrifices all relating no doubt to the ancient history of the country the sanctuary wholly formed of fine red granite with the various obelisks standing before it proclaiming to the distant passenger here is the seat of holiness the high portals seen at a distance from the openings to this vast labyrinth of edifices the various groups of ruins of the other temples within sight these altogether had such an effect upon my soul as to separate me in imagination from the rest of mortals exalt me on high over all and cause me to forget entirely the trifles and follies of life i was happy for a whole day which escaped like a flash of lightning 
but the obscurity of the night caused me to stumble over one large block of stone and to break my nose against another which dissolving the enchantment brought me to my senses again it was quite late when i returned to luxor to the hut of an arab who ceded to me part of his chamber and a mat which afforded me an excellent bed the change from those ruins to the arab's hut was not less than that from the elevated ideas the sight of them inspired to the thought of procuring my supper if i could by this time the two agents of mr Duetti had arrived they immediately set to work to take out the lower sphinxes which the doctor had discovered and commenced their labours on a very extensive scale the bey had left his orders with the kamaikin and the sheikhs and now scarcely a fellow could be gotten for us mr d s agents had employed them all and my remonstrances were to little purpose from the moment these personages came to thebes i had a continual series of disagreeable circumstances to encounter which i could not describe were i to attempt it suffice it to say that the bey who had the command of the whole country made it a particular point i have no doubt to thwart our views and consequently took care to express his wishes as to each party to the kachefs and kamaikins who could not avoid obeying their superior the petty advantage taken on this occasion soon showed me the characters of the persons i had to deal with i do not mean the first two agents alone who had arrived in thebes but those who had given them instructions and others who were sent after them consisting of european renegades desperadoes exiles and so forth people of this sort under no restraint in anything they do were sent to obstruct my proceedings and met with every encouragement from the bey and of course from his subalterns the first two agents as i have said begun their researches extensively and as i could get but a few men to employ on the east side of the nile i determined to try what could be done on the west as i had the good will of the kachefs there but unfortunately the boat with mr beechey had not arrived and i could not proceed for want of money having from prudence as i came by land taken but little with me accordingly i left my interpreter with instructions how to act with the few men i had engaged and set off in a small boat to meet him in twenty-four hours i arrived at Kena, as the wind happened to be in my favour and had the good fortune to find him in that place it took us three days to reach thebes when we moored our bark at luxor and i recommenced my operations with what fellows i could obtain the work at gournou was continued also and i must confess occupied a greater share of my attention than that at karnak could it but be accurately known with what a wretched set of people in these tribes travellers have to deal their mean and rapacious dispositions and the various occurrences that render the collection of antiquities difficult whatever came from thence would be the more prized from the consideration of these circumstances end of second journey part one